0: This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. This is your friend Onirban. Today I offer you a special episode. The Durga Pujas have practically started. While it is part of a season of festivals all over India, and I refer to Navratri and Dashera in this context, the Durga Pujas are celebrated with the greatest possible pomp in my home state of West Bengal. Indeed, it is practically impossible to imagine West Bengal without the Sharbojonin or public Durga Puja celebrations. It is time, therefore, to offer a brief history of the Durga Pujas. In particular, it may be useful to offer a history of the Pujas as well as of the art and politics around it. How did the Durga Puja assume a practically heroic role in the festival culture and economy of Bengal and Bengalis all over the world, but certainly more um, so in their homeland, West Bengal at the moment. It's not possible really to present a comprehensive history of the Puja within the limited time we have with us here. It is more useful perhaps to address one particular question. How did the career of the Durga Puja as a public festival change over the last 250 years? This podcast is divided in three sections. The first section recalls a history of the Durga Puja as a public festival. The second section discusses how recently the Durga Puja's in Kolkata, have thrown up a new definition of art and artists in regard to what is popularly called theme pujas. Here, I draw extensively from the recent work of art historian Topoti Guhothakutta. The third section, which too is based largely on Professor Guhothakutta's work, is about a new style of popular politics around the organization of Durga Puja's in recent years. This aspect will return in the second podcast as well. Dr. Modhumita Pal has written a PhD thesis on the changing character of Durga Puja over the years. Her thesis called The Changing Pattern of the Durga Puja Festival from 1857 to 1947, was submitted to the University of Calcutta in 1993. I will be uh, referring to her work quite often during this podcast. The first major point in this history is the character of the Durga Puja in Bengal. The character of the Puja underwent a basic change with the very arrival of British colonialism. Various incarnations of Durga were worshipped in Bengal since long before the arrival of the British. The worship of Mother Goddess as Durga probably began at the end of the 16th century in the district of Nodia. It became popular still later somewhere during the reign of Raja Krishnachandra of Nodia, He was an influential Hindu zamindar who had a long tenure between 1820s and 1880s. He also built a reputation as an upholder of Hindu religious traditions. Yet, the pattern of the pujas underwent a major change as soon as the British rule was established. It probably reflected a change in the composition of Bengali society. The British rule created opportunities for a new class of wealthy and influential men. They needed a new kind of festival to mark their rise to prominence. Until then, the puja was held privately as a family celebration by hereditary landlords. Since 1757, on the other hand, This new class of wealthy men who owed their rise to the British company was keen to display their wealth. They resolved to splurge their new money after the Durga Puja. They called their British patrons home and organized elaborate pageantries, including dancing women and several other non-religious accessories. Durga Puja's, to that extent, offered a platform to the dominant powers in society to showcase their command and authority in a visible manner. Even as Durga Puja increasingly became popular with all sections of the Bengali people, the changing character of its public appearance dutifully reflected the changing power equations in society and politics. Later, with the rise of nationalist mobilization in Bengal in the late 19th century, quite a few nationalist intellectuals reinterpreted the significance of the festival. Durga was now to become part of the cult of the Bharat Mata, and that cult was ostensibly built up in resistance to the British colonial rule. Yet, the Durga Puja had not become a literally public or Sharbo or open to all celebration until after the First World War. It is to this career of the festival that the maximum attention should really be paid since it persists to this day. There were what is called Baruwari pujas or community pujas since the 18th century, but they were few and far between. The Sharbojunin pujas opened the door for participation for all classes of people without restrictions of caste or creed. This phase, which began since the first quarter of the 20th century, marked also a decline in the strictly religious dimensions of the festival and a corresponding rise in its social, cultural and political profile. It should be noted as well that this is also the moment when mass politics in India had, properly speaking, begun. So, let's return to the early history of the Durga Puja. I said already that the arrival of British rule had brought untold wealth to a new class of Bengalis. They made money by working as intermediaries for the British traders. They would occupy positions such as Diwans, Baniyas, Munshis, Gomashtas or Dalals and soon became the new urban aristocracy of the rising city of Calcutta. Among these new rich Bengalis, Gobindora Mitro probably was the first to spend lavishly in celebrating the annual Durga Puja, though others too caught on soon enough. The founder of the Shobhavajar Raj family of Calcutta, Nobokrishno Deb, was among the most remarkable among these middlemen of the British company. He was the Diwan of Lord Clive himself. He was also the first to invite the British home during the Durga Puja. He held it in style. Famous courtesans would be called to dance and food and drink would flow freely. Modhumita Pal writes that some Englishmen looked upon this festival as a celebration and later a commemoration of their victory at Plassey. According to Pal, Durga Pujo now became an occasion and an opportunity for the new rich of Calcutta to show off their wealth. They had acquired money only recently and owed their wealth by and large to their linkages with the British. The decoration of the idol, the organization of the puja and the associated entertainment now offered a means to this new rich class, a way for them to buy status and respectability. While legends about their extravagance made them famous among the ordinary poor people, lavish entertainment made them popular with their English guests. Indirectly, their generous spending also provided jobs for many native artisans. This in turn certainly made for some boost to the economy. Over time, this new rich changed their character and by the early 19th century, they increasingly withdrew from commerce and invested in land holding. This shift in their approach was a response to unfair trade practices by the new English administration. Be that as it may, this revision in their investment decisions had distinct effects on the approach of this class. To their choice for socialization and entertainment so by the early 19th century a second generation of the new rich under the british rule had emerged these were men who had bought up land rights under the permanent settlement of 1793 permanent settlement was a special revenue law which meant to fix the annual rate of land revenue to be paid to the government in perpetuity. It was an attempt to insulate the government from the rise or fall in production of agricultural prices and crops. Even if production rose or fell in a given year, the law made sure that the total due as revenue for a tenure holder to the government remained the same. The new revenue regime had made some among the new rich of Calcutta exceedingly wealthy. This landed elite now lavished their wealth on organizing extravagant Durga pujas. One of the major features of the famous pujas in Calcutta during these times would be the public feasts. Food prices were relatively low and feeding the poor was at the same time the dominant mode of philanthropy. It was approved by religion as a legitimate means through which to collect merit as well. Moreover, the Weldy would organize live entertainment such as performance by English band or dance recital by courtesans. Access to such exclusive sessions would be distributed among a select few. Such by invitation-only sessions in turn pushed up the popularity of these pujas by adding to them an air of selectivity. These pujas at the homes of the new rich now put in place a trend of presenting exotic shows as though for the duration of the pujas they would become a gallery or a museum. In 1826, for instance, Mohun Deb arranged for a show in which there was a man eating grass, live I mean. Then there was another standing on stilts. There was this trans troupe of eight Burmese women too. The courtesan dancers or notch girls, as they were famously called, would be Muslim women from outside Bengal. They were exceedingly well paid. In the 1810s, a courtesan called Nikki was paid 1200 rupees and two pairs of shawls, which roughly cost the same. All Europeans in Calcutta did not uniformly enjoy these entertainment displays. Some would call it a shameless skin show. A few others certainly enjoyed themselves. Modhumita Pal writes that these pujas did not appear to foreground religion, but only conspicuous consumption and wealth. The women of the house dutifully took care to observe all the rituals, but the men were devoted only to reckless entertainment. The marginalization of religiosity became a distinct feature, particularly after the introduction of Western education. Early organizers of pujas, such as Krishna, continued to pay great attention to correct ritual observances. Yet, wits during the 19th century would make great fun of this excessive Anglicization among Western-educated Bengalis. The elite of Calcutta would be mercilessly mocked as hopelessly addicted to beef and alcohol and for forsaking their traditions for a westernized lifestyle. However, there would be no let up in their competition for ritual sacrifices sacrifices of animals a Shaktu landlord would boast for instance that he had offered 108 buffaloes for sacrifice ceremonial sacrifices involved not only buffaloes but goats and a number of fruits too at times such as sugarcane the practice of animal sacrifice had survived until a few years ago when ceremonial sacrifice of animals was by law discouraged. Since as early as 1832, it was noted that during the three days of worship, all business transactions throughout the country, that is Bengal, would be suspended. At the same time, the press, both Bengali and English, would often disapprove of what it believed was a wasteful expenditure. During the 1830s, moreover, there was a distinct reduction in the scale of Durga Puja celebrations in Calcutta, and a number of Bengali business houses were going under around this time. Some forms of entertainment did tend to persist, of course, such as doggerel competition among urban folk poets. The common people, even though they were fed generously, would typically be kept at a distance from the main premises of the puja. The pujas in the village probably embodied a greater degree of devotion at this point. But that is another story. It may be useful at this point to reflect a bit more on the larger social impact of the Pujas. The Durga Puja had by the 19th century become the greatest social event of the year for the Bengali Hindus. Durga, the slayer of buffalo demon, had by now been domesticated. The popular image of the goddess was transformed into that of a married daughter with children who would visit her parents once a year during the autumn. A whole genre of folk music, Agomuni Gaan or the arrival songs, Would be born, composed and sung in anticipation of her annual arrival at her father's place. Likewise, there would be Bijoya songs, as in songs bemoaning her departure after so brief a stay. Modhumita Pal believes that these songs, in some critical ways, reflected the collective mentality of Bengali Hindu parents at the time. Their own daughters would be married quite early and rarely, if ever, did they see their father's home again. By this time, pujas would become a regular feature of the festival calendar. Preparations would begin since as early as two months ago. Every household had to make provisions for money. New clothes would have to be bought for every member of the household. Brahmins would receive an annual bonus from the households they served. Sailors would be excited at the prospect of a bumper sale and a tidy profit. Various kinds of artisans would receive plenty of work. Entertainment professionals would be booked in advance. Service professionals would look forward to their vacations and would often return to their ancestral village, where they celebrated the puja with their extended family. The Durga Puja became also the principal annual occasion for giving or receiving gifts. Obunindranath Tagore, the famous painter from the legendary Tagore family, recalled how a section of their house in Calcutta would be crowded by a number of travelling salesmen well before the Pujas. This collection would include the Chinese shoemakers, Muslim tailors, Punjabi or probably Kashmiri shawl dealer, Jewish perfumer and a number of other traders and artisans. They would visit from time to time catering to the needs of large families including men and women of all ages. At the same time Such air of festivities caused a good deal of pressure among the poorer householders who had now to keep up with the expectations from their family. As Paul writes, under the magic influence of Durga's presence, everyone forgot or probably chose to suspend their hardships for those few days. Since 1870s, publication houses probably started publishing special puja numbers of their literary periodicals. This was also the time when the practice of traveling out during the Durga pujas took off. Modhumita Pal offers rich details about the brisk activities various artisans would carry out during the pujas and especially plenty of details about the variety of clothes and clothes merchants populating the city of Calcutta. The basket maker and those who manufactured and sold toiletries would be particularly in demand. She has two impressive chapters on the reinterpretation of the puja and the goddess by nationalist ideologies. Broadly speaking, the nationalists had once again restored a militant dimension to the homely image of the goddess. But the greatest change in the nature of the Puja probably took place during the first half of the 20th century. The first quarter of the 20th century to be precise. This is when the Pujo became Sharbo or public. The First World War had caused a great deal of economic distress. The economic depression of the 1930s added more fuel to the fire of Bengal's economic downswing. As the world as a whole suffered from the effects of this massive crisis, the prospects for Bengal's export, particularly jute, tea and rice, underwent an irreversible crisis the number of private or family pujas had been declining since the early 20th century. The Omrito Bajar Potrika throughout the 1920s chronicled this process of the reduction in the scale of pujo celebrations. The Omrithobajar Potrika believed it was on account of the growing impoverishment of the higher classes. The malaria epidemic and declining sanitation in rural areas was another probable cause. This phase practically wiped out the celebration of the Puja in well-to-do rural households. Paul cites newspaper reports from the 1920s to the effect that a number of traditional private pujas in formerly wealthy households of Calcutta were first disappearing. At the same time, the Potrika observed in 1933 that, and I quote, the joint national festivals known in Bengali as Sharbojonin have of late become the marked feature of almost every part of the city. They provided a meeting ground for men and women of all castes and creeds. The Sharbojonin pujas made no distinction between the rich and the poor, the caste men or the horijones. Ottindranath Basu of Shimulia Bayam Samiti probably started the first Dharbojonin Durga Puja in Bengal. The communal riots of nineteen twenty-five had encouraged him to stage an event that promoted harmony between communities. He was probably also the first to start pandal decorations. He had put together a show with dolls and posters, which alluded to various contemporary social and political events. He organized an impressive exhibition of physical fitness by the local young men on the day of Oshtomi. He had been looking to present an ideal of strength and communal harmony before the youth of Bengal at the time. By the 1930s, this Puja had acquired such a great deal of name and fame that crowds from long distance would come to see it. Journalists wrote lyrically about crowds coming in without much of a promotion or publicity on the part of the organisers. It was the first time that Bengali women came out of parada in large numbers and offered flowers to the goddesses in full view of the public. The Sharbojunin had clearly introduced a great deal of democracy to the organisation of the Pujas. Earlier, the puja would not be strictly exclusive, but there did exist caste and caste dividing lines. Since technically private households organized these pujas, the Sharbojonin, by definition would be organized collectively. Gandhian leader Profullo Chandra Sen, who would later become a chief minister of West Bengal, recalled that until 1923, Durga pujas in Arambagh in Hugli from where a sen came, did not allow Dalits to participate. He recalled that the Congress had organized a Durga Puja that year, which was thrown open to everyone irrespective of caste. The Sharbojunin Puja of Bagh Bajar, which was started in 1925, was probably the most popular Shadwajonin Puja during the 30s. The proposal to start an open to all Durga Puja so scandalized the Orthodox Brahmins of North Calcutta that they had boycotted the priest who officiated it. The organizers of the Puja published in 1929 an open invitation on the pages of Amritobajar Putrika. Everyone, irrespective of caste and creed, was invited to visit their premises. The organizers would also arrange for an industrial fair, in which indigenous enterprises were showcased and their sales facilitated. There would be stalls for a variety of goods and services – clothes, pictures, instruments, earthen, wooden, metal, rubber leather goods and toys, cigarettes, wooden boxes, suitcases, iron safes, crockeries, sports equipment, batteries, walking sticks, and so on. Sharbojunin pujas grew in numbers during the early 30s. In 1929, for instance, Omritu Bajar Potrika reported of only four Sharbojunin pujas but only three years later, it referred to over 15. By 1937, the Sharbojunin Puja was regularly referred to as a national festival. Stylistic innovations in the Durga images became a regular feature since around this time. Reports of more playful Durga images Start appearing around 1937. In 1939, Shimulia Bayam Samiti itself replaced the traditional Art Chala frame in which Durga and her children were part of a single overall platform by introducing separate images of Durga and her children. It was also a series of gigantic images. The platform on which the images stood was 50 feet high. Interestingly, the same potter or artisan, Nitai Pal, had earlier made the first Sharbojanin image. And he was the same artisan who now designed the separate uh, icons of Durga and her children. Durga would now be painted in innovative styles by famous artists such as Nondolal Bose. These trends not only were no longer resisted, but they actually caught on as a fashion. It would seem as though the Calcutta society took a great leap forward during 1930s. This is also when the trend to retire to the ancestral homes in the villages was gradually replaced by a popular interest in travelling to the hills or other tourist sites. The Bhadraloks of Calcutta would now be heading for healthier climes in various towns in Jharkhand or farther up north. These were popularly called changes, as though holidays were going to experience a healthier weather. The money which was earlier spent in feeding the poor now went to these railway colonies. It was initially a practice among the relatively wealthy, but soon enough the middle classes too would start visiting these health towns. The railway companies would make huge profits by ferrying these health or change tourists. They would run special trains to cope with the rush during the Pujas. This was also when the Pujas would be gradually commercialized. The word puja season would now be used regularly to refer to extensive shopping that took place around the festival. Puja shopping became so much of a regularity that by 1935, Omritu Bajar Putrika would be writing about shops becoming impenetrable with milling crowds, and normal traffic on the roads during this time moving very slowly. So Durga Puja had by the 1930s acquired the Sharbojonin or public character that continues to define it even today. Now it's time to move to the second section of this podcast when I talk about Durga Puja's in contemporary Calcutta or Kolkata as giving birth to a new understanding of art and artists. As Professor Guhotakuta writes, during the days and nights of the festival, the entire landscape of the city undergoes a magical transformation. The streets are taken over by myriad shapes and forms of pandals. These Pandals are temporary pavilions that are erected to house the images of the Goddess. Now, these Pandals serve primarily as exhibition sites, taking on spectacular forms of architectural replicas, remakes of temples, forts and palaces, theme parks and craft villages. For some years now, A defining feature of such spectacles has been a license to copy, reassemble, or reinvent whatever monument or site catches the fancy of organizing authorities, producers, and publics. From the prehistoric cave sites of Vimbetka in central India to distant African villages, From temples of Orissa to Khajuraho to the Opera House of Paris, all of India and the world are laid open for free tours to the people of the city during the week of the festival. In keeping with these uh, changing mood of organizing and hosting the Durga Puja Pandal, Each icon competes with its rivals as an object for viewing and photography, now becomes subject to a contest. The prizes and the awards take over. The ambience is increasingly that of public art installations. So like art exhibitions, pujas these days are routinely opened or inaugurated by invited guests designed by art school trained artists or set design professionals, often organized by professional event managers, and they are drawn into competitions or contests for a growing number of awards for excellence of production. And these awards are offered by media groups and commercial houses in the city. At the same time, there is a public or popular and most importantly, an ephemeral dimension to this field of production that appears to function as a new art gallery for a while. For all its endeavors to innovate, experiment and inculcate new artistic tastes, All Durga Puja Pandals must take their place within an unenclosed and unbounded public domain and must struggle to find popular approval alongside connoisseurial attention. The locations are in the open streets and roadside parks. So all Pandal structures, however beautiful or elaborate, must also come down at the end of the festival week, just as every Durga idol, however beautiful, must be ritually immersed at the end of the Puja. Now, this new idea of public art is distinct from the traditional and more authoritative ideas of art and art making or art exhibition by this temporary, provisional, and transient life of its activities and of its special attraction. Let's move now to the third section of this podcast. This section deals with the increasing politicization of the Durga Puja over the last 10 or so years. If the puja was taken over by corporate organizations, the award shows and so forth, during the last 10 years, the state staked a claim to the pujas soon after the new ruling party, Trinamool Congress came to power. Professor Guhothakutta wrote about the use of the Durga pujas by political parties mostly the ruling party, as an occasion through which they appear to promote a distinct political style. She observed that the state has become more deeply involved with the organization of Durga pujas. The festival became a major means through which political parties encouraged local political mobilization a new set of state-sponsored awards for the various pujas was introduced and it soon enough became the most coveted award of all. The face of the local politician and that of the chief minister would begin to appear in banners advertising the Durga pujas well in advance. The chief minister himself inaugurates hundreds of public Durga pujas, she took personal interest in adding a special event to the festival calendar of the Bengalis around the Durga Puja. It was the day when a select number of Durga idols would be made to march past a central thoroughfare in Kolkata. The stretch is turned into a makeshift gallery with sitting arrangements by the side. An invitation to participate in this parade offers a special status to the organizers of a Durga Puja. Since this time, a central thoroughfare in the capital city virtually becomes a ramp where the idols are made to walk like fashion models. At another level, it appears to resemble the Republic Day Parade, given that the annual Republic Day Parade too takes place along the exact same stretch of central Calcutta. This very year, the state gave grants to a large number of Durga Pujas, probably to make up for the suspected reduction in their budget in the following uh, situation in the wake of the pandemic and widespread economic underperformance. It's not as though the state did not intervene in Durga Puja celebrations earlier, But since 2011, the intervention has grown much larger in scale and more immediate in character. Now that is by and large the first episode of this special around the Durga Puja 2020. I spoke about the history, art and politics of Durga Puja. Do tell us what you think about this episode do subscribe to our History Chatter podcast in Epilogue Media website, Geo Savan, Ghana, Hubhopper and Apple Podcasts. Till then, this is your friend Onirban signing off and looking forward to the second Durga Puja special that will be released right away. Thank you very much.